Thank you for tuning in into the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. If you would like to get connected, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or email us at downtown.podcast at newlifechurch.tv. We're in a series right now uh, and we're talking about the power of God, how we can experience the power of God, what that needs to look like. Um, and, and what I've found, and I don't know if, if you relate to this, I was actually thinking about this while we were praying for healing, is that so often we, we go through our lives, going through the motions of our faith, but I, I wonder if any of us would be honest and say, man, I, I've, I've loved the idea of Jesus, but I haven't fully seen the power of Jesus in my life. And so we've been going through that. This is the last week of that. We've done five weeks. And the first week, we talked about the power of hearing the Word. The second week, we talked about the power of being obedient to the Word. The third week, we talked about the power of being unified as the church under the Word. Last week, we talked about uh, the power of discipleship, uh, going through the Word. Pastor Neil is going to have a Bible study on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock called Heart and Soul at Nexus Coffee and Creative. And I want to double invite you, y'all. Come out to that. Uh, they're going to be going through the Word. Uh, and this week, I have a message titled, The Power of Pouring Out. Everybody say, Pouring Out. Um, I, I wonder if you've ever felt burned out before. Oh, and show of hands. Anybody in here ever felt burned out, like in, in your faith, in your work, in your service, different things like that? Uh, I, I believe that God's called us to be poured out, but not burned out. So how do we pour our lives out but not be burned out in the process. And so we're, we're going to talk about that. But I think we all have a desire to give ourselves to something fully. But I think there's something within us that says, I don't know if I have enough. And so this morning, we're going to be in a story out of Luke chapter 7, uh, 36 through 50. And here in a moment, Asia is going to read this for us. But I believe that God gives us the power to pour out without burning out, to love without a restraint, and the ability to view others without judgment in our hearts. And I think this story, uh, Jesus perfectly outlines how he wants us to do this. And so uh, if you'll go with me in the word, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Asia, why don't you read this for us? It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that town heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with an expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he says to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after all? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiving little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, it's effective. And God, it's above all relevant for our lives today. God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, we are listening. God, we believe that you have the best way to live in your hands. And so, Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And it's in your precious name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's set this scene up a little bit. (laughs) So there's a lot happening here. This is a bizarre bit of scripture. And so imagine for me, with me for a second, that this was happening like in, in real life. We so often read the stories of the scripture with the benefit of having hindsight bias, right? Like we know what's really happening here, but just imagine. Okay. So what would have happened is there would have been a room and there would have been a U-shaped table that the people who were invited to the party would have actually been laying at. They wouldn't have been sitting at the table. They would have been laying on their left side with their feet behind them. They would have had their sandals off, okay? So they're, they're shoeless. This is Neil Greathouse's greatest fear. Uh, and they would be laying there discussing. They would be talking about things. The host would have things he'd be talking about. Jesus, as the guest of honor, would have had things that he was talking about. And people would have been milling around, okay? Now, just imagine... <laughs> That a woman comes in who has a bad reputation, who doesn't just have a bad reputation, but is known as a prostitute. Think about that in your mind. A known prostitute in the city. She is not dressed appropriately. And not only is she not dressed appropriately, she comes in and she lets her hair down. Now, in our culture, we understand that a woman, we're watching a movie and two people are on a date and the woman lets her hair down, it's on. It's time to fast forward, right? We, we know this. At home, when Cal's at the end of a long day, she'll pull her hair down because she's tired, she's relaxing. Even in our culture today, this is a move of intimacy. But y'all, in Jewish culture, in first century uh, Palestinian Judaism in Israel, Letting your hair down was an incredibly intimate act. Like, th- this just wasn't a, a suggestive thing. Like, this was almost akin to public nudity. This is the level that this would have been seen as. So imagine this woman comes in. She's not dressed appropriately. She really shouldn't be at the party. She comes in and does this provocative act, and then she starts kissing Jesus' feet. Okay, like at best, all of us are like, this is so weird, right? Like internally, we're like, this is so weird. At worst, we're getting out our phones and we're like, somebody's got to see this. Like somebody has got to see what this woman is doing. She's kissing his feet. She's crying. She's wiping his teeth with her hair. This, this woman is out of her stinking mind. This is what all of us, if we're honest and we watched this happen, would have been thinking. There, there was a guy uh, a couple of years ago named Trevor Krauss. 
Uh, Trevor Krause was about 27 years old, and he'd gotten bored in his life. And so what Trevor Krause decided that he was going to start doing is he was going to start trying to sneak into, like, world-level sporting events, okay? And so he starts with the NCAA basketball tournament, and he goes and he buys the cheapest ticket that he can, and then when his game is over, while they're ushering people out, he goes and he hides in the top, and you know they have those curtains in arenas? He hides inside of the curtains, he waits to hear the next group of people coming in, sneaks out, and watches the game, and he realizes, I can do this. This guy spends six years traveling the globe, breaking into global televised sporting events. He broke into Wimbledon. He broke into multiple World Series, multiple Super Bowls. He, he went to like the cricket world championship, whatever that is. Uh, he, he, he went to any and every sporting event he could, and he never got caught. At some point, he decided to retire from this. I guess he got old enough. And they were doing an interview with him. I was reading it this morning. And they said, why did you decide to do this? He said, I guess at some point I realized that the risk far was outweighed by the reward. The risk of the trouble, what are they going to do? Tell him he can't go in, right? He was like, the risk was outweighed by the reward that was at stake. Yo, this woman took an enormous social risk to go into this situation and to do the thing that she did. Okay, let's set up the scene a little bit. There's two characters here. There's two characters here. There's Simon the Pharisee, and there is the woman. Simon the Pharisee, uh, he is a religious leader. Uh, he, he is interested in Jesus. He's interested in Jesus enough to invite him into his home. Now think about this. When we think about the Pharisees, we always just assume that all the Pharisees were automatically against Jesus. That's not necessarily the case. He's interested in Jesus. He invites him into his home. So who were Pharisees? Pharisees were religious people who believed that the way the kingdom of God would come was by keeping perfectly the moral law of God all the statutes, the ceremonial law, by keeping clean and by separating themselves. If you, if you look up what the word Pharisee means, it, re- it really means a separatist, someone who separates themselves from the rest of society. They separated themselves from, from Gentiles because Gentiles would make them ceremoniously unclean. They separated themselves from irreligious Jews, and they fiercely followed the law. Th- these people were religious narcs, Okay. So if they saw you breaking the law, they were going to tell on you, okay? You did not want to get caught fishing on the Sabbath because they would tell on you. Uh, And so this is the type of cat that Simon is. This is how he believes the power and the hope of God will come into the world. Now let's contrast him with the woman. The woman is inappropriate. She does not belong. She's a sinner. She's a whore by social status. She's a contagion. Like her very presence destroys the ritual purity that the Pharisees believed would would bring about the kingdom of God. So they're sitting there frustrated. They're like, this woman is here. She hangs out with Gentiles for money. We know what that means, right? We're going to all have to do all these different things so that we can be ceremoniously clean, so that we can enter the temple, so that we can see the kingdom of God come. She is either there as an intruder or as a guest. I believe she's there as both. She's an intruder to Simon, and she's a guest of Jesus. 
Let's look again at the scene. Let's notice how Simon describes her. Uh, we're going to start in verse 37. Go back to the original passage of Scripture there, guys, because I'm going to read a little bit more, I think. Uh, let's look at, look at how she's seen here in the Scripture. It says, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, that's Jesus, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, and weeping, her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. We've gone through how incredibly bizarre and outrageous and awkward this is. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, now this is in his mind, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now notice what Jesus does. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisees, I have something to say to you. <laughs> Anytime Jesus says, I have something to say to you, it's usually going to be a rebuke if you look through the scripture. And Simon walks right into it. He says, go ahead, teacher. Very well. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both. Both owed debt. One had a debt of 50, one had a debt of 500. And he kindly forgave them both. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose for whom the one he canceled the larger debt. That is right, Jesus said. When Simon sees this woman, he sees someone who is getting in the way of the kingdom of God. But when Jesus sees this woman, he sees someone who the very kingdom of God is breaking out in. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus gave his mission statement, he said, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I've come to bring hope to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus sees the very mission of God being accomplished within this woman. Let's talk about prostitution in the first century. In order for this woman to become a prostitute, there are two likely scenarios. Scenario one, she's a free woman who has no male attachments. She has no one around her to help fully provide for her needs. She has no other way to make enough money to take care of herself than to sell her body and to sell her sexuality. That's scenario one. Scenario two that's likely, possible, is she grew up with poor parents. Parents who couldn't make ends meet and had a valuable daughter that they could sell into the slave trade. This woman who Simon sees as a sinner, Jesus sees as a poor person who's in need of salvation, who's in need of hope, and who's in need of love. Y'all, so often we look at the things that people are doing and we don't consider their beginnings. We just consider the result. We don't consider the decisions they made that had to get them there. And so we judge them and we look down on them, but Jesus didn't do this. Jesus invited this woman to a different way 
to live. And as you read the story, it says because she had been forgiven, she wept and she worshiped Jesus. Simon viewed the woman as someone who still had a debt that they owed. Jesus viewed the woman whose debt had been released, and that's why she did the things that she did. We're going to talk about Simon here in a moment. She was the one who owed 500 pieces of silver, but Simon was the one who owed 50. Let's talk about the alabaster jar. An alabaster jar was a small vial of very costly nard or perfume, and it would have had a very skinny neck, and wealthy women would have bought these, they would have tied them around their neck, and the hole was just small enough to release the scent, but not small enough to be poured out. In order to get the perfume out in the way she did, she would have had to break the thing that was most valuable to her. Now let's think about its value to her. For prostitutes in this day, a sweet smell, an attractive smell signaled to the people around them that she was someone who was worthy of desire. Y'all, this is something that she wore around her neck so that men could smell her and be drawn to her. What we see in this story is someone who's taking their one source of power over other people in this world, and she broke it, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. The thing that she previously used to attract men to herself, she broke and poured out on Jesus so that men would be attracted to him. And y'all, 2,000 years later, men are still being attracted to Jesus because of this beautiful act of wonder, of trust, and of worship. King David said, when offering sacrifices in the Old Testament, he said, I won't bring to my king, I won't bring to my God that which cost me nothing. She brought a costly offering of worship. And y'all, what I, what I want to submit to you this morning is that God has called each and every one of us to bring the thing that we find our ultimate source of security, our ultimate source of power, and to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. Because it's there where we find true security and power. I want to submit that this is the most rational thing that we can do with our sources of security and power. Think, think about it like this. If you ask any six-year-old boy what he wants to be when he grows up, there's a good chance he's going to say something like, I want to be a professional basketball player, but I don't want to have to kiss girls, right? Because when you're six, girls have cooties. But when he's 26, and maybe he's made it to that dream, he's going to realize girls are all right. What's my point in this? My point is that we don't understand the full potential and the full power of the gifts that we have. And when we come in contact with the God of the universe, the most rational thing that we can do is to open up ourselves to him, expose ourselves to him, and find our full security within him and have him tell us what to do with our gifts. Think about the effectiveness. She could have kept her alabaster jar and its effectiveness would have ended with her life. 
But since she broke her alabaster jar on Jesus, the effectiveness will be told throughout all of history. Yo, this is the gracious invitation that Jesus offers us in our lives and in a life of worship. He calls us to pour everything out. Go with me to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, but even if I am being poured out, everybody say poured out, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. You know, one of the most common themes in pastoral ministry in the United States of America is something called burnout. It's common in business. It's common in ministry. You know, God has not called us to serve to the point to where we burn out, but he has called us to be a people who pour out. What's the difference? When something's poured out, it can be refilled. When something's burned out, it's used up. I wonder your perspective on your worship. Notice she did not sing a single note. She didn't play guitar. She didn't play the drums. But her sacrifice of her way of making a living was a beautiful offering in worship to God. And it was brought into its fullness. I wonder what are the places where God's calling you to pour out your life on his feet. I wonder where are the places where God's calling you to worship by giving him access to the gifts that you have. The, the great philosopher John Mayer once said, <laughs> bragging about a gift you've been given. Nope, I messed it up. That's why you don't get off the script. I got it. Rewind the tape. Bragging about a talent you have is about as interesting as bragging about a gift that you've been given. Y'all, God, God is the source. God is the giver of our gifts. And, and what I want to submit to you this morning is one of the most effective and powerful ways that you can live into worship is to give those things to God. If you live that way, Jesus says, I am the living water. Anyone who drinks of me We'll find life. We'll find springs of life. What happens with springs? They just keep welling up. Me and Neil were talking about this week. So often when we're tired and we burn out, we look for relief. But what we need is refilling. I wonder if anybody in here has been needing refilling, but you've been going for relief. Here's what it looks like. It looks like binging Netflix. Y'all, I do it. Ted Lasso season two, okay? It's killing me. I don't pastorally recommend that. Uh, but maybe. A little bit. Maybe the ways that you've looked for relief, maybe some of your coping mechanisms this year actually turned on you. Like maybe where it was a glass of wine, it turned into a bottle of wine. Maybe where it was just killing time on the internet turned into an addiction. Maybe as you were trying to work harder and push through things, you started getting into your children's medicine to try to cope with the workload, and you found yourself in a place where you're stuck and nobody knows. You know, this is the way that the world copes, but Jesus offers a better way. Jesus says, if you will go to my word, listen, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The, the, the purpose of the word is not for, just for information, it's for formation. 
But so often when we come to the Word or we come to church or we come to worship, we come to our lives, we're living informationally. We're not living formationally. How does this play out? You come to church and you check it off your list and, and you watch and you come for the worship experience, y'all. A worship experience, that's something you go get at a show. God's called us to something different. When we come to church, we are coming to encounter the living God who created us, who breathed life into us, and who wants to form us. What if you stopped viewing worship as something that you had to do as a duty, and you started viewing worship as something that you got to do, as something where you find delight and you find wonder, and you find formation. Yo, this is a woman who has found full wonder and worship and purpose and security at the feet of Jesus. This is a woman who, by societal standards, had very little worth or value or power, and she's found full security, she's found full worship, and she's found full life in Jesus. Y'all, listen to me. Some of you guys, you come in here, every week, and it's like you're dying to just take that next step. But you're afraid of what others might think. Here's my encouragement. Be like the woman. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Run to the feet of Jesus. There you're going to find more security, I am telling you, than you'll ever find in any other place. When you find yourself fully in the person of Jesus, then you can begin to pour out from a well that doesn't run dry. Pouring out is an offering. It's something you bring because of something you've received. Burning out is an obligation. Pouring out is a partnership. Burning out comes from a burden. Pouring out is a choice, but burnout comes from chains. comes from when we're shackled to things. Pouring out is a heartfelt response to having a revelation of the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus. Burnout is duty-bound religion based on work and not relationship with God. God has called us to something different. God has called us to pour our lives out for the mission, the hope, and the kingdom of Jesus. This is how the kingdom of God comes. It comes from broken, hurting, lost people who find themselves and find their security in Jesus. Y'all, I am no stranger to burnout. January 2020, I was probably in one of the worst places that I've ever been as far as ministry and work. I I was burnt to a crisp, y'all. I was pastoring. Some of you guys were here, and you're like, yeah, we remember. (laughs) Yeah, I I was pastoring. I was leading. But, y'all, I was not refilling. I was going to the Word just to get another message, not to get a word from me, but to just come in here and do my job. And honestly, I remember one day I was in the kitchen, and some, y'all may not know this, there are a lot of problems in church. Uh, another problem had come up, none of you guys, none of you. Uh, another problem had come up, and I'm like, I am sick of people. And simultaneously, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> this is my whole job, is to love and shepherd people. And y'all, can I confess something? We'll cut the tape here, Nathan. I was a little relieved when we had to shut down. And I'm embarrassed to say that. But I, I was a little relieved because I just needed relief. And it wasn't because of the work we were doing. It was because of the way I was doing the work. 
And so we took that time and started doing what I love, which is reading and studying and being with Jesus, learning how to be like Jesus. And, and I got to get my wind back. But here's what I know. Some of you guys, you haven't gotten your wind back. Some of you guys, you had a really hard year. And you're burnt out relationally, you're burnt out professionally, and you're burnt out spiritually. We can come to Jesus. He is the well that doesn't run dry. You can lay down your doing. Y'all listen to me. Some of you guys need to lay down some doing for a little while, and you need to be. You need to be with Jesus. You need to come Tuesday nights. You need to hear from Neil, hear him preach. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. He hates this, (laughs) me saying this. But come be led. Come be fed. And God will release you back into the mission. Now listen, some of you guys, you're in a place where you're addicted. You're chained to some things. You need to talk to somebody about that. Y'all, secrets give strongholds power, right? If you keep stuff secret, you're not going to find freedom in it. Y'all, this is a woman. Let's go back to the woman. She has no secrets. They know who she is. She just doesn't care because she found something better. That's the invitation of Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel. She brought costly worship. She brought valuable worship. It cost her something because she knew what she was getting was far more valuable. Jesus had invited her to worship because she'd repented. Let's look at Simon for a second. Jesus is inviting Simon graciously to repent. You'll notice in the story, let me me read through the rest of this. Simon answered, I suppose for the one he canceled the larger debt. That is correct, Jesus said. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Y'all, this is a rebuke. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. Y'all, this is basic hospitality in the first century. Basic hospitality. This guy who was so worried about doing all these other things right hadn't treated Jesus with dignity. You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears. It's outrageous worship. Wiped them with her hair. You didn't even greet me with a kiss. Again, standard hosting. But from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected me the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. Jesus is inviting Simon graciously to repent. We don't see exactly what Simon does. And I think there's a reason for that. Because Simon's not the only audience. We are as the readers. When Jesus walked into the room, Simon saw the room as his place of authority. But anytime Jesus walks into any room, whoever is in that room is outranked. That's you, that's me, that's us, and that's certainly Simon. But Simon saw himself as the judge, the one who was looking at Jesus and trying to decide what he thought of Jesus when what he should have done is recognized he needed to see how Jesus saw him. There's an analogy I heard. Two people are killed. (laughs) It's a real hopeful one. 
One person's bitten by a spider and dies slowly. The other one is mauled by a bear and dies horrifically. Which one is dead? They're both dead. They just died differently. One looked worse. They both owe debt. Simon missed. He thought that his, his good works were enough. Y'all, our good works are never enough. Why? We can't live perfectly. Every one of us in here can recognize areas where we can't live perfectly. Jesus is offering us something different. Jesus is offering Simon the opportunity to repent as seeing himself as the ultimate authority and to give authority to Jesus. Y'all, some of you have have lived a, a pretty good life, but something inside of you that's driving you to work harder, to do better, is speaking against you. Something in you knows that it's not enough. He's calling him to repent of his view of himself, his view of the woman. He's viewing this woman comparatively. He's viewing her compared to his sins. Yo, how often do we do that? That's called judgment and hypocrisy. He's calling us to do the same. I wonder if there's anyone in our society that you've looked down on this year. Yo, we don't know the experiences that shape each other. Every decision is shaped by one of two things. It's shaped by our experiences or often it's shaped by our inadequacies. Jesus offers us a different way to live, a different way to make decisions. In the end, Jesus rescripts her for society. Look at what he says here at the end. 47, he says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven since she's shown me so much love. Y'all, for everybody watching, Jesus is saying, now I want you to view her differently. Y'all, I wonder, is there anybody in your life you need to view differently? He's transforming his view of himself, his view of the woman, and his view of Christ. Y'all, I'm gonna close with this. We, we cannot interact with Jesus as someone who's reclining at a table observing him and trying to decide what we think of him. We must interact with Jesus based on who he says he is, which he says, he doesn't say I'm a good teacher. He doesn't say I'm a prophet. He says, I am the living incarnate God in flesh. And if that is true, he dictates the way we interact with him. We don't dictate it. And and here's what he says. He says, I'm offering you full access, full relationship, full grace. All you have to do is accept it. Yo, listen, there are some of you in here, you've been the authority in every room you've ever walked in. Jesus is offering you something better. Yo, some of you, you, you live in judgment of other people. Jesus is offering you a better view of the kingdom. Some of you guys, you, you've lived your life trying to decide what you think of Jesus, but not considering what he thinks of you. He loves you. He wants to release you. And he wants to call you to ultimate security and salvation in and of itself. Y'all, it's the last thought. Um, you, you'll, you'll notice this, this woman is no longer trying to prove herself to anybody. 
She's found ultimate security and soul satisfaction in the person of Jesus. And so what I want to submit to you this morning is that Jesus can give you a new view of those around you, the world with him as king. And if you let him, he'll give you a new view of yourself and what hope and life look like. By surrendering to Jesus, this woman never had to surrender to anyone else again. She found full love, full assurance, and certainty for her soul. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. Just want to say thank you for listening in. Uh, Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast equips you on your walk, your journey with Jesus. And so please like, subscribe, share, help us spread the word. We love you.